Happy New Year. How's everyone doing? It's a hot mic today. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm thankful to be gathered with you all this morning on the first, not just the first Sunday of the new year, but literally the first day of the new year and enter into this time. And thanks for leading us through that time in the in prayer, Mark. Um, yeah, for the past two weeks, we've been in, in Advent, um, study or celebrating Christ coming into the earth. We looked at, at Mary and the Magi, um, which that was a really sweet time together as a faith family. Um, last time we were here was Christmas Eve. And so we will be jumping back into the book of Exodus this morning. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. And in this passage this morning, it's a, it's a pretty unique passage for this specific morning, because this is a passage that the people of Israel are, are reborn as a people. This is a, a brand new year for them. This is really their New Year's Eve, if you will. Um, and as, as Mark already stole the first part of my sermon, I was going to ask you how many of you were planning on starting something new <laughs> in this new year. I'm not going to be as bold and ask what it is, but can I just get a show of hands? If you're starting a new diet or joining a gym or, um, like my wife, maybe have planned a hundred books to read this year. Um, maybe you want to learn a new skill. Anybody fall into one of those categories? Great. Yeah. So this is, um, our culture often says new, new year, new you, right? Like you want to, you want to belong to something. You want to identify with something, whether it's a skill or a hobby or a group of people. And so after 430 years of the people of Israel being enslaved, they're coming out and they're like, who are we? Who am I? What do I belong to? So this is a fresh start for this nation. And on this new year's Eve, Um, Before we jump into the actual Exodus story, which we'll be in, I want to recap some of the things that Pastor Mark um, taught on a couple weeks ago for the the time of Passover, um, the labor pains, if you will, of their rebirth narrative. So if you can imagine with me for a moment, you're, you're looking inside of a slave hut in Egypt where the nation of Israel is. And you can imagine a family sitting inside their hut and all of them have their bags packed, a staff in their hand. They're eating very quickly. They have their kneading troughs on their shoulders and they are ready to go. There's the fires dwindling inside their hut and there's blood splattered all over the walls and the floors from the lamb that they had slaughtered a couple hours earlier. And as this, as this family, they look extremely anxious. And as they're sitting there huddled around, almost silent in the room, they begin to hear wails and moans across echoing throughout Egypt as Egyptians are waking up to find their firstborn sons dead. And the people of God, they know what's going on. And they're just pleading with the Lord, trying to trust that God will not take their own firstborn son. But they know all the while that something either has died or will die in their home. Fathers restlessly looking at their firstborn son, wondering if God will take him. Mothers looking over their babies and seeing and and, and catching almost every breath of the baby's breath. Or sisters clinging on to their older brother with all that they have because they're terrified for what's going on right now. And all they're doing is waiting for the, the night to pass and the dawn to come. And this is their New Year's Eve. I'm sure many of you did not have a New Year's Eve like that. <laughs> they, so they ventured out their, their blood-stained door into the streets. And they begin to look up and down the streets and see that their friends and neighbors are, are that all is fine. That all is well in the, the quarters of Goshen. 
among God's people. This is the night of Passover. But not only that, this is the night of their exodus. This is the night that God will deliver them out of Egypt once and for all. This is the rebirth of the nation, a new year. So I'm going to, um, so that kind of caught us up to where we are now. Um, so we are at chapter 12, verse 31, and um, Moses will retell that scene of the Exodus and what actually happens through that time. So I'll read that for us. So chapter 12, verse 31 through 42. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country for otherwise they said we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and the, and the Egyptians, the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people and they gave them what they had asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years to the very day, the Lord's, the, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to keep, to bring them out of Egypt on this night. All Israelites are to keep vigil, to honor the Lord for generations to come. Now, when Israel came into Egypt, Israel came into Egypt with about 70 people. Now, 430 years later, there's close to a million people, a million Israelites in Egypt. Now, Moses has just been given the responsibility to herd or lead these 600,000 plus people out of Egypt. Now, if you're anything like me, getting my kids ready for church and bringing them to church in the morning clothed is a feat. (laughs) Moses is now responsible for leading this many people out of Egypt. Like this seems so chaotic. But one thing that we, we need to remember as we've seen throughout Exodus before is that God is completely sovereign. He's sovereign over the lives of each of these people, but he's also sovereign over their whole journey. He was sovereign when he placed Moses in the house of Pharaoh as a little boy. And he was sovereign over the decades of life that he lived under Pharaoh being trained in Egyptian military, which was one of the strongest militaries on the planet at the time. He knew what it meant to lead people well. And so he understood that. But not only that, God was with them. God was over them. He was sovereign over them. And we see that in verse 36. When the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. Not only did the Egyptians just lose their firstborn son, but they willingly blessed the people of Israel as they left. They're like, Oh, your God just took my firstborn son. Well, well, here's our silver and here's our gold and here's our clothing to go with you. Be blessed on your, on your journey. 
Like, this is ridiculous, right? And what we'll see in a few weeks is that the silver and gold and clothing is actually will be used for the building of the tabernacle and the worship of God. God's sovereign hand is over this whole, over all their slavery and their exodus. This is an unforgettable night that the Lord gave birth to his people from under the hand of slavery. These are a new people. They're no longer enslaved. And now they have to understand what it means that they have been redeemed. And now that they belong exclusively to their redeemer. So as we walk through this passage this morning, I want us to be asking the question of what does it mean for us as a church, as God's people to belong to God? Like, do you live as though you have been redeemed and belong to God? Do your hopes and your dreams for 2023, are they marked by that belonging? And what does that look like? In this next passage, and starting in verse 43, um, I'll summarize it real quick. So this is the, the institution of the Passover feast. And I feel like verse 42 of this, of chapter 12 summarizes the Passover restrictions pretty well. It says, because the Lord kept vigil to bring them out of Egypt on this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for generations to come. So God in his grace was setting in place these rhythms, these, these routines and these habits and commemorations for God's people to remember from generation to generation that they would not forget this night that he delivered them out of Egypt. And this was not just something that you share with one another through words. This is something that was felt through the whole community, through what you ate, through what you heard, through what you saw, through what you sensed. But more than that is that this is, this is one of those times that God is beginning to point his people and show them that God is the one who regulates his own worship. That Moses, and there's no other authority out there who regulates God's own worship. God outlines in this um, verses 43 to 51, outlines his regulations for his worship. He includes people and he excludes people. He excommunicates and he also determines who can participate in his worship, in this Passover feast. And there's no other leader who can determine how God's worship should be regulated. People's only response to to this call, this command by God is obedience, is us joining in and worshiping. And so what are these regulations that that God is, is giving us? Well, he says in verse 47 that the whole community of Israel must celebrate it, that there's no options. If you are a part of this covenant community of Israel, you must celebrate Passover. It's for your joy and for his glory. Verse 48 It says, if there are foreigners who want to celebrate the Lord's Passover, they must have all the males in the household circumcised. Then he may take part like one in the land. And as Mark mentioned a second ago, like this is such a major theme throughout Exodus in the entire Bible, that God in his grace is inviting the nations to come and to worship him. He's inviting Egyptians and others in that surrounding area to come and worship him to be a part of the covenant community with the people of Israel and with himself. So all 600,000 men plus women and children and now foreigners are all belonging to Yahweh, trusting that salvation belongs to no one else. But in order for all these people to be in covenant community with God, in order for, for these foreigners and everyone else to participate in Passover, They must first be circumcised. 
This is the sign of what it looks like to be a part of the covenant community of God. And the the way that we see that manifest itself here in, in the new covenant is baptism. Baptism is a sign that we are in Christ, that we belong to him. It's the new covenant sign that we belong to God, that we are in covenant community with him. And now being a part of that covenant community through baptism, now we have the opportunity to participate in the Lord's Supper. So hopefully you can see that connection there between baptism and circumcision and Passover and the Lord's Supper. And this is a theme that's played out through the entire Bible. But ultimately what God was doing here for his people through the Passover feast is he was giving them an identity. He was giving them a rhythm. He was giving them a commemoration to live by, to, to remind them of what it means to belong to God, what, what, what the people of God look like. And so this new identity or this belonging, it's going to manifest itself in two ways throughout the rest of the passage. First, through consecration, through God's people making themselves holy, setting themselves apart for God's purposes. And then secondly, through commemoration or remembering, looking back, rooting themselves back in what God has done. So look with me at chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll hop down to 11 through 16. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Verse 11, after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised on oath to you and to your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord, the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb, every firstborn donkey. If you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons in the days to come. When your sons ask, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. This idea of consecration, as I mentioned before, it means to to make holy by giving to God. And each year, from generation to generation, every single year, the people of Israel and who participated in Passover, they would take their firstborn son or their firstborn donkey and they would offer it to the Lord. But the way they would offer it was that it had to be redeemed. It had to be redeemed by, by every household looking at their flock, looking at what they had in their flock and, and determining which is our best lamb or our best goat, which is our firstborn, the most valuable one in our whole herd. Okay, let's grab that one and go slaughter it. Let's go kill that because that's what God, that's, what, that's, what, that's how God regulates his worship. That's how it's going to remind these people of that night that they were delivered out of Egypt and redeemed the Passover lamb and goats that were slaughtered for that Passover feast. They rescue the firstborn son from death. And when God redeems his people, those people always belong to God. If God redeems something, it belongs to him. This is a constant theme throughout the Bible. There'll be some verses here up on the screen. 
Starting with Numbers chapter 3, verse 13, talking specifically about this passage. It says, For all the firstborn are mine. When I struck down the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether human or animal. They are mine. I am the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6 says, We are not our own, but have been bought with a price. If you've been bought with a price by God, you have been redeemed by him. Therefore, you belong to him. Romans 14, 8 says that if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So if you are redeemed and you belong to God, it's no matter whether you live or whether you die, you are the Lord's. There's no other options here. We are the Lord's. Isaiah 43, 1, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Listen to this language in Malachi 1, 14. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. When God has just asked his people to give their first, to give their best from their flock, God says, cursed is the one who, who vows to give that, but then gives the weak, gives the one that's, that's more convenient or less costly. And this is something that, that was a warning to my own heart and to this, to, to all of us all Christians living in America. This is what breathes out of cultural Christianity that we want to give our, what's most convenient or what's less costly for us that we might read a little bit of our Bible, that we might give a little bit. Sure. Maybe we'll pray a little bit before a meal. We'll sacrifice a little bit here or a little bit there. But what God is asking us in, the, in Exodus 13 is he wants it all. Everything is his. He's not asking for it. It already is his. If you have been redeemed, it belongs to him. Your money, your children, your marriage, your singleness, your goals, your dreams for 2023, they all belong to God. That's why he told his people to bring their firstborn, bring their first and their best to him. And we give it all to God, not because we're getting robbed out of the deal, but praise be to God. He gave his only son. He gave the firstborn of all creation. The son of God, the the lamb of God laid down his own life that we may be redeemed, not just for one year, but forever, forever and ever and ever. Like, let's praise God for, for the truth of Christ coming to this world and redeeming us. Like, we can look at that and, and may our hearts be rooted back in that truth that Christ has redeemed us. And that's what we see next after consecration, after we set our lives apart for God, after we set all things apart because all things belong to God. God leads us then into commemorating, setting up these sacraments and ceremonies that root us back into who we are, into what is true about, about, us, about him redeeming us. So look at me at, at chapter 13, verse 3 through 10. Then the Lord, then the Moses said to his people, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. 
For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord will be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed, at the appointed time year after year. The way that the people of the way that God told his people to commemorate was through this, this feast of unleavened bread. That might sound a little counterintuitive of feasting on unleavened bread, but this was the idea was that they were, God was highlighting the hallmark of the, of that Exodus of the night at which God got them, delivered them out of Egypt so quickly that they didn't have time for their bread to rise. This, this feast, this festival of unleavened bread, where they were withholding yeast for seven days, was to bring them back to that night that God delivered them. That they can remember that night that they did not have leaven in their bread, which is unusual for them. And God even goes so far that, to say that when your sons ask you, Dad, what does this mean? Why can't we have rolls tonight, Dad? You know that I love rolls with my lamb. And then you tell your sons, well, son, we do this. We withhold because we're remembering all that God had done for us when he delivered us out of Egypt with his mighty hand, when he redeemed us by putting the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. We're bringing our whole family back to that remembrance, back to that commemoration. These commemorations were not just to stir our affections and worship for God, but they were really to ground us in the truth when, when hard times came upon them and came upon us. In verse 5 here, it says, When you go into the land that I promised you, it's going to be filled with hostile enemies, and you will face all of them. And God says, Do not forget the ordinances. When you walk into the land, do not forget what I have done for you. Do not forget how I've delivered you. Do not forget who I am and who you belong to. God says, I am your redeemer. I am your provider. I am your protector. So keep doing these ordinances so you don't forget it. This feast was meant to be a marker in the, through the, that would disrupt their normal rhythms and routines in life and call them back into their story. See, I know for, for all of us in here, we're all so busy. That's one thing for 2023. I hope to be less busy in 2023. <laughs> I feel like all of us are just running around. And we never stop. And, and God in this passage is calling us to stop and reflect and remember. And, and because the culture in our, in our day tells us that when you are doing successful, when you're doing well, when your kids are killing it in school or sports, the culture tells us that you are enough. You're doing a great job. That you're strong enough. You can deliver yourself. Believe in yourself. You do you. Whatever works for you is best. But what Exodus 13 shows us and what redemption shows us is that we are not our own, but we belong to God. And what these sacraments and what we practice today called spiritual disciplines, what sacraments and spiritual disciplines do is they regularly remind us that we are not our own, but we belong to God. And when I say spiritual disciplines, what I mean are these these habits of devotion 
that promote spiritual growth among believers. Habits of devotion that promote spiritual growth among believers. And when we, when we have these sacraments and spiritual disciplines in our life, what they do is they root us back into what is true. What is reality? And the reality is, is that God saved you. God delivered you. God knows you better than you know yourself. God has provided for you and he has redeemed you. He has redeemed you from everything. And so I know for most of us, when, when we walk through trials and suffering, when we have been betrayed or hurt, we're a lot quicker to run to God and cling to him and call out to God when we're suffering. But what happens when things are going really well? What's going to tether us back to the gospel? What's going to tether us back to our redemption? Like, do we understand the gravity of that night that happened in Israel? I know for the people who lived it, they felt the gravity. The Israelites, they knew that the stakes were high. They knew that something, before that night came, they knew that something in their household would die. They felt the weight of it when the, when the death angel passed over their home. They were terrified. And God is saying that when you take these sacraments, feel the weight of that in your soul. Feel the, the weight of eternity in your soul. Like, do we feel that when we come to this table? Do we recognize what we're being saved from, what we've been redeemed from? When we take the Lord's Supper, do we grasp the gravity of hell? Do we taste the bitterness of what Christ walked through, the cost of our redemption? What it cost Christ to go to the cross on our behalf? The bitterness that he had tasted. There's a quote by Charles Spurgeon on this specific passage that it'll be up on the screen here. It's a little bit longer of one. He says, let us not forget that night when for the transgression of his people, he was stricken. It was a dark night when he arose from the table where he had eaten for the last time with his disciples. He went to Gethsemane. He was taken off to Pilate, to Herod, and to Caiaphas to be condemned to die, to be lifted high on a cross, to bleed to suffer physical pain, mental anguish, and unknown spiritual grief, never to be estimated by us. It was a night to be remembered in all our generations. Let it never be forgotten. Whatever we do not know, let us know the cross. Always let the ransom paid on Calvary be first and foremost. There is teaching in every nail. The sponge, the vinegar, and the hyssop all have meaning in them. In the spear that pierced his side is full of instruction. We ought to study them and study them again. Here is the essence of our confidence. This is the pillar on which our souls lean. If there's any hope for sinners, if there's any consolation for sufferers, if there's any cleansing for the guilty, if there's any life for the dead, it is here. See, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are rooting ourselves back into the redemption that we have in Christ when we feel the crunch of the unleavened bread as we're taking the Lord's Supper, we're remembering not only God delivering his people out of Egypt, but we're remembering the weight of sin that, that crushed Christ's body on the cross and, and the cost of our redemption, that we are, have been redeemed and now we belong exclusively to him. Every morning, there's a brother in our, in our church who, um, as he's having his quiet time, as he's praying and reading the word, he has a glass of cold water on his desk. 
And as he's going through his quiet time, he puts his fingers in the glass and he touches his forehead with the water, with the cold water. And this is, he does this as weird as it may sound. (laughs) He does this to remind himself of his baptism. He does this to remind himself, to root himself back in the fact that he has been buried with Christ and raised to walk in new life. This is something that he does, but there's lots of other things that you can do to set reminders for yourself, to root us back in the hope and the redemption that we have in Christ. He's remembering who he belongs to. He's remembering that he has been bought with a price and he is not his own. So I want to ask you this morning, do you, when you think about your life, do you identify with belonging to Christ, being redeemed by Christ, or do you belong to something else that's not Christ? If you, if you do belong to Christ, what markers are there set up in your life that root you back to the gospel, that root you back to your redemption? I want to propose for us as we close this morning for five resolutions for this new year on what it means to belong to God this next year. If we, if we have been redeemed, here's five resolutions for us this morning. First, I want to encourage you to remember and retell the gospel. And the gospel is simply this, that I am not my own, but I belong to God because I've been bought with a price. That we are, we're hopelessly lost without him. And he came and he saved us and he redeemed us and he called us his own. And now we belong to him. Second, meditate on the word. As Mark mentioned a little bit earlier, I would encourage all of you to find a Bible reading plan. Get in the, get in the word every single day. Every single day. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be much. Just get in the word every day and see how your life fits into the grand scheme of God's redemptive plan. So if you, if you don't know what a Bible reading plan is, like definitely reach out to one of the leaders here and we'd love to point you in that direction. I think there'll be some resources on the website as well. Third, I want to encourage all of us as a church too to t- set some time aside this next year to fast and pray. This is what we see in this passage here where God instructs his people for seven days. Do not eat leaven in your food. And God's doing this as a marker for his people to root them back into their redemption, into their deliverance. So is there a symbol or a sign in your life? Like setting aside a day a week or a day a month or a day a quarter where you're saying, no, I'm going to stop the busyness in my life. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to eat food for today. And I'm going to focus on all my efforts, all my energy, everything I am upon my redemption, upon Christ and him redeeming me, remembering all that God has done with his mighty hand in your life. Fourth, for the families in here, I want to encourage all of us to catechize our children. There's two times in this passage that the Lord instructs his people, when your children come to you and ask what this means, have an answer for them. Dad, why can't we have rolls tonight? Dad, why are you taking our pet sheep Fluffy behind the barn? <laughs> but, but, but seriously, like we need to train, <laughs> training up our children and who they, who we belong to. And there's a, there's a children's version of the new city catechism that it comes on an app or in a book. Um, catech 
To catechize means just questions and answers leading your children to believe the gospel and the word of God. Um, And so we want to make sure that our children are being raised of what it means to belong to God. And lastly, number five, I want us us as a church to take seriously the sacraments. When we come to this table, we, we don't come to it lightly. We come to it knowing that Christ has redeemed us through his body and the blood that he shed. This is, so before you come up to the table, remind yourself of the gospel. Like I would encourage you not to just rush off to go get your kids and chug the juice on the way out the door, but stop and meditate for a moment upon what Christ has done, how he has redeemed you, the mercy that Jesus has given you. So let me pray for us and then we'll enter into our response. Oh God, we thank you. We are so humbled to be here on the first day of this new year, God. Lord, I'm so excited what your spirit can do through this church, God, for your glory and for our joy. I pray that we would not take your word lightly. That we would not take your sacraments lightly. That we would not take lightly that we belong to you because you have redeemed us through your own son. That you have given your own son. That we may be spared. That we may have life and life eternal, God. So I pray that, that this word, that your word would lead your people this year, God. That we would hold fast to your word as it is our, our life and our breath, God. Lord, go before us today. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.